Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by Brianna Reeser. Brianna and I had a great conversation about how to sustain behavioral changes in our lives, how to create these new habits and maintain these new habits to live a healthier life. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this information highly valuable. So let's tune in. Bree, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk today. I'm excited to have you here. Um, We connected a while back, and since we were both Brees, it was pretty exciting. Uh, (laughs) Brees are taking over the world. I'm meeting so many, like, amazing, powerful women named Brie. It's very empowering for me also. I I feel like there's a sisterhood going on. There absolutely is. Well, let's kind of just dive in. Before we kind of get into subject matter, um, just tell us a little little bit about who you are, what you do, and we'll go from there. Yeah, well, I kind of have a really funky background. I started off as an athletic trainer and a clinical exercise physiologist. I followed the rabbit hole of why don't you do what I tell you to do as a personal trainer and as an exercise health coach, um, really working on exercise adherence. And it really helped me fall in love with the idea of behavior change. So uh, long story short, now I'm a health behavior change specialist. I have a PhD in behavior change. That's what I do. Very cool. And that's exactly why I wanted to get you on here because so many people fall into the trap of just like starting something and not following through, whether it's exercise, diet, racing, sports of any sort. And it's definitely a, it definitely can be a, I shouldn't say a problem, but can be a difficulty for people just not understanding what to do differently in order to stay motivated. Yeah, the adherence aspect or sustainability aspect of any type of programming, like you said, it could be, if it's health related, it's typically around diet and exercise. And we're also even seeing this really great movement that I love right now that is encompassing the mindset of it as well. So now we have this like third habit of mindset and meditation as we're going into health. So mind, body kind of connection. And I think that's where we're, we're seeing the biggest shift. One thing that really struck me was when I was working as an exercise physiologist, I worked with a program for American College of Sports Medicine called Exercise is Medicine. Have you heard of it? I know of it. So there, there was a big push to get exercise prescribed like a medication because we know there there is some preliminary and even a little more research that shows that exercise can be just as effective as medication in things like diabetes and heart disease it can actually completely reverse your disease profile with using exercise and diet but we didn't have a lot to stand on because the research wasn't there for the longevity meaning that we had these great well thought out research projects And most of the people that were in the research design drop out because they didn't have enough sustainability or adherence to the program. So what's what's hurting us in the exercise field on being able to show how effective we are being is that we can't get people to stay adherent for long term. So where do people start, whether it's a coach or an actual individual, how do we start to create this adherence? That's a great question. I think that's even a better question than most people ask me. Where do we start? Because I mean, 
when we're already halfway through it, then we're correcting a bunch of poor behaviors. And especially with health coaches like myself that really understand what the sustainability takes, you know, we don't want to have to undo a bunch of bad behaviors. If we're starting from something specific, I think that, you know, the foundation of behavior change can really benefit. So where we, I think where we start is with a good goal. So understanding realistic, attainable goals or the idea of a smart goal is a great foundation for a health coach. Um, when someone comes to you for a health-related goal and they're wanting to make a change, typically people come to us because they're not happy with what's going on. They want to change. And it's up to us to get a, a good sense of where they can go realistically. And some people will really disagree with me because there's this another movement, I think, that's, that's kind of just come out not too, not too long ago that we're, we're pushing people beyond what they perceive that they can do. And that's okay, but it's dangerous. And that's driving some of this uh, in not sustainable programming. People can't do what they don't feel like they can do. So being able to set a realistic goal with your client that is just outside of their reach where they can strive for it, but also obtain it. That's the most important thing for a foundation of behavior change. Yeah, goal setting is such a huge, like even myself, if I don't have a race or competition to yeah. train for, it's like why, not that I don't, not that I stop going to the gym, but I just feel myself pushing it a lot harder with my training and I'm more focused with my training when, when I have that goal. So I definitely understand that. When they have these goals, what are you doing with, so you started A, you have to get to Z to get that goal. Mm -hmm. How do you keep them on track in that between time? How do you keep them motivated? Yeah, that's a good question too. So we see A to Z quite often. We have to level set with our clients. We have to see what do they see? Because most often what we see is possible for them. They don't see that's possible for themselves. And so while we might see A to Z, they're probably only seeing A to B. And it's okay for us to go down to that level with them and set a goal that's A to B and then B to C and then C to whatever and allow the client to start dictating or driving what they think is possible until that they until they gain enough trust with you and you can you can start to build a little bit more in and give them a little bit more to work towards or against so in addition to creating a good goal there's another foundational step in behavior change which is understanding your client that's so important so understanding what where they're likely to struggle and where they're coming from, what their, what their understanding of healthcare is. So, so uh, an idea called health literacy is really important to me. Uh, it should be really important to every health coach. That's a quick baseline assessment of what does your client already know about this topic and what can they learn about it? What is their education level? What is their cultural um, kind of lens or what you know their their culture is kind of plays into what they're going to understand about health and about what they're capable of and even things like social economic or social determinants of health are important to know about your clients before you start to give recommend recommendations and even before you start creating goals for them so learning about your client is important in helping them become sustainable in the long-term solution so you asked me, how do you keep them focused or keep them motivated? I would say, first of all, I never set a weight loss goal, even though that's the majority of people mm -hmm. are coming for weight loss. Set a goal that's really fun first. 
that is more performance driven? Because you had said, if I don't have like a race coming up, like that's a performance goal. What's fun? What can your body do? What do you like about your body? What do you want it to do for you? Setting these kinds of like exciting goals on function and performance are way more sustainable and motivating than anything else. Um, and then also allowing them to create their own goals because they're going to be much more in tune with or uh, they'll buy in more to a goal that they set. So you'll see a lot more movement and traction and something that they're already excited about. I think those weight loss number goals are dangerous because mm-hmm. um, people just get like they just perseverate on that number. And if they don't hit that number, you know, it, it freaks them out. And like I just have I'm working with one guy now that was he was like the scales don't change the scales don't change I'm like but how are you feeling and you know, I kind of kept redirecting him and uh, six weeks in we did a we did another in body scan and he had gained two pounds of muscle lost two pounds of fat right. so it's like and it's things like that that a lot of people just don't understand which is why they want this number but it it truly isn't the number that is the important part with things. We, we're stuck in this kind of consumer-driven beauty culture, and the number's really important because that's what we're taught to value, um, men and women, in different ways, but still the same. We're taught to value this scale number in order to have some kind of self-worth in that. There's a We have the body mass index, which is uh, really a, a, a terrible tool that we're stuck with because we don't have too much better information that's an easy very accessible tool people really understand it so we work within it as well but you're right you know we're not teaching people about true health we're talking about weight because there's there's they're not the same sometimes they intersect but doing a weight loss goal is dangerous especially like you said if they're not meeting a goal any goal that someone does not meet or falls short of in my opinion as a behavior change expert um, decreases their ability to stay uh, compliant or adherent in the future. Absolutely. I know every person is a little bit different, so this answer or this question is going to be a little bit more difficult to answer. But when someone starts to fall off, you know, there's we have to give compassion. We we give tough love. Like it's going to be different from person to person. But how do we kind of redirect them and get them back on track? That is. I, So yes, everybody is different and it's really up to us as health coaches to uncover what's most important to our clients. One of the things I just launched actually a behavior change certification for health coaches. And one of the things that's in that is who's at fault when your clients don't meet their goals. And that's the question that you're asking right now. Like what part of the responsibility is the health coach or the coach in this, um, in this area or arena? And I think that we have a huge responsibility to recalibrate with our clients and call them out, say, here's what I see. This is what's going on. You're not meeting this goal and maybe even create a new goal. So if they're consistently not meeting a goal, there's a reason for it that we did not account for. I have been, I have, gosh, when I used to, when I used to coach more regularly, I would come into a situation thinking that I had a hundred reasons why my client would tell me that they weren't meeting their goal. And then when I get into that situation and I ask them, why is it that they're not meeting their goal? They give me a hundred different reasons. People are complex and things happen and things change. So having that rapport, building the trust and building the relationship in the beginning of the, uh, of the coaching 
uh, program will allow your, your clients to be really honest with you when the goal is not working for them. And then you can pivot and adjust so that you don't get these long periods of just not meeting goals. And then frustrations are stacking up and then there's the stagnation and then eventually drop off, which is not great for your books or your, you know, your feeling of um, security in your job. And it's also really not great for them because then that ends up being this relapse phase where they feel terrible about themselves and they have to kind of get back into the swing of things. So in order to stop starting over with your goals, you have to be able to calibrate with your clients, be really honest, have honest conversations about why it is they're not meeting these goals and then pivot to something that's maybe a little more accessible to them that still goes in the same direction or the right direction. As you explain that, the word that comes to mind, and it's on both sides, the coach and the, yeah. the client, is judgment. Mm -hmm. That it's so easy for us to, like you said, you have these ideas in your head of why they met their goals. It's so easy for us to have this judgment on like what they're doing wrong in this process. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, it's they're most likely judging themselves too because they're frustrated with whatever's going on. And... Maybe they don't know why it's going on, but there's just this judgment aspect that I think happens on both sides, mm -hmm. and it's, it's a hard battle to fight. It is. It definitely is. Two things that I say uh, in the course also is, uh, first of all, just err on the side of cautious, like caution, give them the benefit of the doubt, and really choose to believe that they do want to meet that goal. It's not that they don't want to do it, right? They do. They want to get to the vision of themselves that you see for them. So just recognize that, they, yeah, they do want to do that. And it's not just because they're lazy. It's not because of, you know, some other things, the judgment things that we feel like maybe will bubble up. And the second thing is approach everything with curiosity instead of judgment. Anytime you see judgment, this is great advice for any type of judgment, not just in coaching relationships, but like romantic relationships, <laughs> parent-child relationships. Anytime you're working with another human being and you start to feel like, why are you doing that? If you can go into your mind and be like, hmm, why are you doing that? And change that tone to curiosity, you're going to find a lot more insight there. And then you'll find a solution for a path forward that works for both parties. Absolutely. And I found that a lot with myself, both personally and as a coach, um, just, yeah, being that more curious mm -hmm. person and, um, asking more of the questions rather than getting that judgment, just mm -hmm. being that curious. And I think it's something we can also teach them to do to gain mm -hmm. insight into things like, um, you know, me personally, I'll just kind of sit and with my journal and just like, I'll write out the question on like, why is whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think if we can teach other people to do that, that we're working with, that could be very beneficial as well. Yeah, you know, so I started off with exercise and I thought, whoa, this is going to be the thing that changes the world. And I, and I, I did that whole like down determination exercise degree. And there's just so much more to health than exercise. And so the mindfulness aspect of things coming up and being more ingrained in the health and wellness field is really beautiful for me to see. But you're right. We have to give people more tools to understand themselves better. So it would be great for when a client was not meeting their goals, if they had the awareness to be able to sit down and journal and say, why am I not meeting this goal? And really go inward and reflect on that before they even talk to you. 
and then bring that insight back to you and then you guys work on it together for a new solution that's a great future state to have as part of a relationship with a coach and a client and i think that if we do teach them give people more opportunities to bring in curiosity even for their own practice do you um this is a question for you now do you teach this with your clients also are you teaching like mindfulness or awareness in their coaching practice somewhat it's something i want to get more into dealing with that mental aspect and Mm -hmm. i'm starting to yeah um I do, I've done a lot in the past as far as just sensing that body awareness because mm-hmm. I retrain form and technique. Like that's my huge thing is being very detail oriented and retraining that. Mm-hmm. So I've done a lot on that aspect, but going more of the mental side of things is definitely a direction I want to start going with, with yeah. my clients more so. I think it's really, it can be really powerful. It's much harder. It's not as accessible to everybody, right? Thinking about the health literacy of, of your clientele. So not everyone's going to respond really well to it, right? It's probably why we don't do it with every single person. <laughs> but uh, when you have the opportunity to talk with somebody about being conscious about their own bodies, you know, we give people exercise programs, right? Or prescriptions to go home and do specifically probably for you, you're giving people technical skills to practice at home. Mm-hmm. And part of that technical skill, we're, we're counting on our clients as healthcare professionals and as coaches, we're counting on our clients to be the authority and the um, and to know that, be the expert on their own bodies. Because unfortunately, I don't feel what you feel. You're the one that feels the pain. You mm-hmm. have to tell me when you feel it and why you feel it and what's going on with that so that I can help you through it. And so when we can develop our clients to become more aware and conscious about what is going on, um, that that's really powerful, especially because we know that pain, if we're talking about pain, another one of those things that people come to us most often about, if it's not weight loss, it's usually pain, right? <laughs> or both. Yeah. Um, talking about pain, pain can be very cerebral. The reasons why people experience pain sometimes have nothing to do with a physical injury. Absolutely. Yeah. Or if it is a physical injury, the mental, whether it's trauma that has happened in the past or stresses, like there's so much research even behind like just increased stress and Mm -hmm. how that contributes to the pain and keeps pain around. So yeah, there's so much, so much there. Yeah, when we when we talk when we talk about athletics, even sometimes we when we're coaching with athletics, imagine like a football player who ha- takes his very first hit and becomes injured because of that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's now like a an autonomic nervous system um, function to that pain because it's a maybe an ingrained memory of how that happened, and there could be some hesitation that creates a higher risk of having a re-injury in the future. And so the psychology of pain, the psychology of um, of sports is important to address in that. And I think that's where we're going with the mindfulness thing is, you know, being a master of how your thoughts are actually affecting your physical body. Absolutely. I've actually talked to a couple different sports psychologists, um, on this podcast, just for that reason of that fear of coming back and that hesitation that happens. And just how do we overcome that? Because that hesitation creates a more risk-prone injury risk position for us because yes. it's like you hesitate, you're going to take more of a force yes. in the future um, and can definitely be problematic. And that is true with contact sports, with non-contact sports, and then with exercise. Even like, would you say that you see that in CrossFit also? 
is like hesitation could cost could cause you more risk for injury absolutely i just dealt with that with someone this morning um not anyone i worked with but just an athlete i was working out with today um he had an injury like a year and a half ago and he's just like i haven't tried a muscle up since he's like i'm scared Mm. and we're like well just do a couple pulls and see what that does hey they were strong and so we're just like don't even think it like do some jumping turnovers that was fine it was like don't even think about it. just go and he like jumped right up mm. but we like it was myself and one of their coach were standing there just like just go like don't think just do what your body knows how to do because of that it's like you hesitate you're gonna get hurt yeah yeah and i like that you said that don't think do what your body knows to do already like tapping into the the awareness of the body or just the the knowledge in the body tissue and really recognizing that is, is another thing that you can develop with a mindfulness practice. But you'd said something else that I think is interesting is that he had been injured before. And I think that's another reason why it's important to set a foundation of knowing your clients and then setting realistic goals for them. Because one of the worst things that can happen, I don't know if you've heard this, but I know with when clients come to me, it's usually because I have all these like fancy credentials behind my name and they trust me. But the reason why they don't trust other providers or other like physical therapists or maybe even like um, personal trainers is because they were hurt by one. Mm-hmm. They got they they got some bad um, recommendations or some bad advice or maybe an overshooting uh, misinformation of of a goal that's just way too hard. Or you know it could be on the client as well. They might have uh, said they were ready for something when they weren't and they got injured and that's stops progress that's like a huge decline in the sustainability of a goal and i think in almost reverse of that too i I talk to a lot of people who have running coaches or going to crossfit gym coaches and haven't even told their coaches that something's hurting yep because either they'll be pushed hard like they won't care mm-hmm. or they'll be completely shut down because that's what ha- has happened in the past. And so I think there, when it comes to pain there, there's these issues too, where people just don't tell their coaches for fear of not being listened to or mm-hmm. in the other extreme being shut down. We are creating this monster. This is happening, not just in exercise professionals, but obviously also in the medical field as well. Anytime, I'm sure everyone listening right now has probably had at least one of those medical providers that just completely steamrolled you, right? You said you wanted to come in for something and they they did not believe you or they just scoffed at you or maybe even worse. Maybe someone was like, oh, you think you know a whole lot? What did you Google that? Or, you know, we're being shamed for having a little bit of information when we come into doctor's offices or being really honest about what's going on with us. And that's terrible. We have got to stop doing that in, in the coaching field and in the medical practice. We need to start really listening and honoring and valuing people when they talk with us and making them feel like we, there's a safe space for them to share that stuff because what ends up happening is they get re-injured. And if we're talking about the medical field, that's costing us more and more money. I mean, the 19% GDP is because people aren't getting fixed the first time because some t- in, in some instances, it's because the medical providers are not taking the time to get to know their, their, their members um, and they're steamrolling them and causing them to have worse issues in the future. And we're seeing that in health and also in the gym. Well, unfortunately, to get into the healthcare debate, um, <laughs> In the insurance world, unfortunately, is what's happening. Cl- 
clinicians of all sorts have less and less time with people right um because reimbursements are less they need to get more people in um in the physical therapy world it's like you have someone post-surgical but the insurance is approved like eight visits so Mm -hmm. it's like you just don't have the time in the insurance world necessary which is essentially why i broke out of it just Mm -hmm. because i got so frustrated being controlled of what i was able to do and how much time i could spend with someone and having to justify when i know like their knee pain's coming from their back but having to write out this long paragraph on to justify it and it just gets frustrating as a medical provider to have to do that yeah there's lots of things that are broken in how we reimburse quality medical providers um fortunately for me i have a a day job in the health insurance world (laughs) so uh, while i'm not coaching individual (laughs) clients i actually work at a health insurance company and i help keep them honest and you know i do i do a lot of that sitting at the table advocating for mem for uh, good quality providers and helping them get what they need uh, from a in, from a reimbursement perspective to do the good work that we know that we have specifically in integration when we're talking about how the mental health affects the physical body and we're talking about depression and pain related symptoms and anxiety and heart disease or depression and diabetes and those kinds of things that need to be treated together right so um, rest assured that it's being at least talked about Uh, it's not fixed but it's going in the right direction and we're seeing a lot of really cool things happening in the realm of alternate payments so instead of paying our providers for just fee for service and that's what's really stopping us from being able to see the good results because you get okay here's the amount of money you get for one hour or whatever you know we're paying for quality results so if you actually help people get better um, then we'll pay you for that and that's where i think we're going to see the most uh, healthcare reform going in the future is um, being able to look at how we pay for quality instead of for services. And that's ultimately where it needs to go, um, both in the like being injured, being ill side of things, but also just the preventative side of things. Because we can, by addressing mental side of things, sleep, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's so many things we can address on the front end that improves health in so many ways that just isn't touched. Yeah, I think that we have a unique opportunity as health coaches, kind of outside of the medical billing sort of madness, because we see these people most of the time before they come so ill that they need to go into the medical system. You know, we're in the gym, we're in the kitchen, we're in, you know, coffee shops, and we can talk with them about things like sleep and things like that. And so we're not capturing that at all in my opinion, in the traditional health insurance realm, mm. but we can kind of talk to that and the allied, like you said, you, you left some of that health insurance aspect because you wanted to do more, right? You want to do prevention. That's me too. You know, I have to do both. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I have to work outside of insurance, even though it's something I'm working towards on the, on the inside to change, but I have to work outside of it and around it to actually get that prevention piece in there. So we stop these things from happening or snowballing in the future. So to kind of build on that a little bit with you as a coach, let's talk about the kind of that sleep aspect and how that affects everything. We know people are running around like crazy these days, kids, family, work, working out, whatever it is. How do you address that sleep aspect with people? I kind of 
set them up for failure in some ways because I will tell them, well, in a perfect world, you would have a portion of your time in active recovery every day. So not sleep, but rest with your eyes open. So some kind of mental decompression where you're getting your cortisol levels down, you're seeing a biological change in your body, um, you're reducing the stress hormone in all your cells during the day with your eyes open, right? That's what we want, we want you to meditate. And um, you can't do that, well, okay, then let's talk about sleep. So typically we, I start with something that seems kind of unattainable and then back them into something that maybe seems more attainable. The good news is that almost everybody you talk to as a health coach is willing to talk to you about their sleep. If they're not willing to change their diet, if they're not willing to exercise, they're always willing to get more sleep if they can, right? <laughs> and uh, I don't know how you feel, but I think that when I talk with my clients, the, the hard thing for them isn't um, getting sleep per se, it's two, one of two things, not having enough time or not being able to wind down soon enough. So they have this bedtime set at like 9.30, but they're still kind of twiddling their thumbs trying to get to sleep by 11 and then they've wasted all this time and it's frustrating. So we talk a lot about how to, for me and my clients, we talk a little about how, how to drop into kind of a meditative state before sleep, very specifically, very consciously, actively choosing you know, to turn everything off, get away from your TV, your phone, your computer, uh, even away from your books, some soft lighting, and really work towards calming the mind down and preparing to wind down for sleep. Those are the goals that we set most often for sleep. Yeah, that's so important, just getting away. Nothing else, just get away from the screens. Yes. Um, that's why I switch. I do read before I go to bed, but I switch to paper books for that reason because I'm like, I don't want to be staring at a tablet screen. Um, I just wanted to get rid of screens in general, you know, going, going to bed. And so, uh, yeah, just even if it's just that, simple change mm -hmm. just to get that blue light get that um get the brain to start shutting down is so important well i have so i have kind of a personal vendetta against it because um I'll, I'll tell you something a little bit personal about me i actually was just gosh i think probably in the last three months came off of my last psych med and they were for insomnia i couldn't get my brain to shut off and I've, I've been on this medication for six or seven years. The triggering event for me was my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And when that happened, I immediately went into like solve everything mode, right? And my brain just went on hyperactive and I read all the studies and I watched all the documentaries and um, I found myself really um, struggling to turn that off to sleep. And my first thought, because there was so much going on, you know, like m many of us was, I just need a pharmaceutical to help me do this. And uh, my doctor was more than willing to prescribe me something that would turn me lights off uh, in like 25 seconds. Uh, so I started taking this medication that was very helpful for me for a while. Uh, when I couldn't calm myself, dim my own brain, and then eventually sleep on my own, it helped me get into sleep. But um, that's, that's not the right way to do it. There's a lot of consequences to going from zero to, or from 100 to zero and not being able to be in control of that on your own. And so I really have struggled with, for the last year, trying to get off this medication and just in the last three months been able to get off the medication, but it took a lot of practicing what I preach. <laughs> Sometimes that's much more difficult than it seems. Uh, and it was going to bed at a certain time, and then when I got to the point where I wanted to go to sleep, doing the mental tough work 
of shutting those thoughts down. No, we're not thinking about that now. Coming back to breath. Nope, we're not thinking about that. And all of that stuff that's in your brain, I guarantee you it will still be there tomorrow. <laughs> when you wake up, it's gonna, you're not gonna forget it, right? Uh, but it's hard for us to let go of it, especially you know in those times where we have to choose surrender like sleep. But when we become, it's like anything else. It's a muscle, right? The brain is a muscle and we have to practice the things that we wanna be good at. So when we start and we're like, oh gosh, I'm not really good at that, you know, don't quit. You weren't good at your first push up. You weren't good at your first mile. You have to actually do the things that you're supposed to do on a regular basis and it will become easier. You'll, you'll, you'll have that mastery. And sleep is one of those exact same things. It's a muscle that we have to flex a little bit at a time until we feel like we can do more. And I think something to note too with that is our thoughts never stop. Mm-hmm. Like we're always going to have thoughts because I, I was under the impression before I started meditating that it's like you're supposed to get to this state of like no thoughts, whatever. Mm-hmm. And like that's just not realistic. And when I talk to other people about meditation that who don't meditate, they tell me the same thing. Like I just can't like I can't meditate because my brain doesn't shut off. And and I, and I think. I shouldn't say think. I know because I had it myself that we do just think that somehow we're supposed to get all these thoughts out of our head and that's just not possible. It's just a matter of where do we refocus in order to be able to shut that brain off or at least be able to get into rest. Yeah, thank goodness it's not the actual goal of meditation. I think that's a huge misnomer. Most people really believe that that is the actual goal. And while that could be the goal, the you know the caveat is that we all know the people that meditate will know that it's it's the the goal but it's not ever going to be achieved <laughs> so you keep working towards it and there's all these benefits on why that helps you when you work towards it and that some days are better than others you know um when you when you practice something called zazen meditation you're just counting your breaths and you're supposed to be able to count to 10 and then repeat back but i cannot tell you i think maybe i've only ever gotten to 10 like maybe twice <laughs> and like every you know morning meditation for the last year i think i get to like breathe in one breathe in two and then my brain goes somewhere else i'm like oh shoot got to start at one again <laughs> so i got to i think i get to solid 2 most of the time for the whole time that i'm sitting there uh, and that's okay that's yeah. okay and there's definitely most of the time i do unguided meditations but there's times like i just my brain won't shut off and so then I'll switch to a guided one and just kind of let that voice and you know everything kind of talk me through that so at least I'm focusing on that versus all the crazy things that are going on in my head at the given time so you just have to kind of change up what you're doing at times I think too depending on what's going on in your day yeah the, the whole goal of meditation is to notice what is happening in your mental landscape Um, That gives you the insight on how to improve in other areas of your life because the things that we do, the behaviors that we do that make us sick have to do a lot with the mental landscape. Nobody, I wouldn't say no one, but hardly anyone is overeating um, for good reasons, like good mental landscape reasons. Like if you have, if you have any kind of thing that's causing you physical pain or even emotional pain, there's something else going on in the, under the surface there that is likely causing you to feel a certain way. And then you're acting it out in your physical behaviors, whether that is not getting enough sleep or not getting to the gym or sometimes getting to the gym too much, uh, not eating enough or sometimes eating too much. Um, but all of those things have to do with us 
struggling with something in the mental landscape that once we figure out what that is, we can address that. But if we don't ever figure out what it is, then we're just going to repeat these patterns over and over again. As a health coach and setting goals for, for health and wellness, it's also our job to recognize that connection as well. People didn't get to the states that they're in because they were mentally healthy. You know, whatever is driving them under the surface is going to show up in things like hamstring tears because they're overdoing it, trying to show their worth in some kind of thing, you know, like trying to get some crazy Instagram post, you know, yoga thing for, for their followers. And, you know, that, that, that can show up as, you know, not feeling internally valued or those kinds of things that we get the privilege of being able to talk with our clients about if we choose to. If we take the time to choose that option. Yeah. And something else that comes to mind as you say that is everything we do, especially habitual, has a reason behind it. Mm-hmm. Some subconscious reason behind it. And so how much of our attempts to change behaviors and then fall back into our habits are because of that. Um, you know, like just an example that's coming to mind is like you get to this certain point in your progress and you may not realize it, but maybe when you were at that point before someone criticized you mm-hmm. or, you know, you're, you know, and so it naturally just shuts you down and you backtrack and, and it can be hard to really figure out what those things are. But I think there's a lot that happens in our subconscious to create a lot of these issues. Yeah. Yeah. I did a little bit of work with an NLP, Neuro Linguistics Program programming coach a while back and I think that's true I think that there are some things in the subconscious that drive our behaviors if you're having like something in a client that's the behavior is just you know really funky or you can't figure it out that's where we have the opportunity to ask them for more information and see you know allow them to tell you crazy things that shouldn't make any sense but probably do like I don't know you know like I was criticized by something and, and, and maybe it will show up, you know, maybe they will understand it or know it. And once they talk about it and they say it out loud, then it will be easier to manage. Um, one of the things that my NLP coach said was that whatever you're choosing to do, it's because it's serving you in some way. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, when you find out what it's doing, what it's serving you as, or what role it's playing, then you can choose to get that need met a different way. And that thing, that behavior no longer serves you. And that's when you can clear it. And and I think the second way you put that was better. What role is playing? Because we do all these things because we think they're serving us in quotes, but in all reality, is it really serving us? You know. So I think that it's playing a role is a better way to word that. Yeah, and it, and it can be serving you in the short term, right? Because it's protecting you from the perceived pain of being criticized again. But it's definitely hindering you in the long term of that. And so understanding that and being able to talk through that is going to get you much further in your progress. Yeah, definitely. So I guess what I'm saying is that as a health coach, what you need to be able to do when you're talking with your clients is really just be open to hearing out whatever it is they say and allowing, uh, there's a, a term called holding space that I use that you know people are more p- familiar with now, but allowing them the safe space to say whatever it is that's going on, even if it sounds crazy, or even if it sounds like a, a made up story, just giving them the time and the energy and holding space for them while they talk through it can just cl- can clear it and then you can be done with it. Yeah. And I think, and I, I say this from personal experience is 
we think a lot of the, or I'll just put it in the eye since I know I dealt with it, but it's like, I think a lot of the, like, things are in my head. It's like, oh, that's not relevant to that situation. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I know for a long time with my coach, it's like, I would hold back on saying things. So I'm like, oh, it's just not relevant. Or like, why would this make, you know, it doesn't make sense to even say right now. And, and I'm sure everyone else goes through that as well. Mm-hmm. That's like, well, that's not relevant. So I'm not even going to share it when in all reality, it's probably 100% relevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So doing the work on your own, um, is important. And as a health coach facilitating that aspect of it, like letting your clients know that that's an important part of their healing and their forward progress is doing the work on their own. Sift through your mental bullshit before you bring it to your coach, right? Do your own work. Absolutely. And, um, and it's all relevant and it's all important and it's all valid. And once you understand that and learn it a little bit more then you, you have more to work with and you have more, again, solutions. There's more path forward from that. Um, yes, whatever it is that you're struggling with or whatever's coming up in your subconscious, whatever you're thinking that you think might be crazy thoughts, share it anyways. Um, if you don't feel like you have a really good connection with a coach and you feel like that's not the relationship that you want or that you have, find someone that you do, you know, find someone that you you can have these conversations with because you'll get further in your progress. Yeah, 100%. To kind of start closing it out, I think it's really interesting how like everything just circles back to that mindfulness and awareness and just being truthful and honest with yourself Mm -hmm. um, in all aspects, you know, regardless of of what struggle it is, it just always seems to circle back to just coming to know yourself better. I would agree with that. I think that the reason why we get in the predicaments that we're in, the reason why we get sick, and for the most part, not everything, right? But, you know, chronic illnesses, chronic pain, it's because we didn't listen to our bodies. We didn't know that we could listen to our bodies. We didn't tap into that. Um, So we got here because of that. um, And that's the way that's going to get us out of it is being able to, first of all, understand what it is I'm feeling and thinking. And then, like you said, second of all, being honest about it, you know, having the courage to talk through it and to talk about it and to create solutions with your, the people that are helping you, whether that's a business coach or an exercise coach, mindset coach, you know, whatever it is you're working towards, whatever goal you're setting, whatever uh, future thing you want for your life, it's so important for you to set realistic goals. But in order to get there, you have to know what's, you know, what's under there and what your personal truth is. Awesome. I love that closing. So Bree, if someone wants to talk to you, reach out to you, have questions, um, whether it's a coach or an individual, how can they find you? Yeah. So we talked a little bit about, I pinged back and forth between, um, doing the train the trainer type of conversations, how we should coach. And then also to doing the direct coaching, you know, how you should, uh, what you should do to have a better, healthier life. So I have two tracks. If you're interested in becoming a better, more empowered, uh, holistic health coach, and you want to help people change behaviors, I have a website called Stop Starting Over or SSOHealth.com. And you can get the certification online right there. Um, So there's that one aspect of it. 
Um, if you're interested in becoming a coaching client of mine, want to work with me on pain or on a behavior change for health, drbree.com is where you go for that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Brie, for your time. I'm so glad that we got you on here. And thank you, Brie, for your time and for having me on the podcast. And that concludes this week's episode of Highly Functional. If you enjoyed it and found the information helpful, I invite you to head over to Facebook and join my group, Obstacle Course Racing Athlete Health and Performance, where you can both join your OCR tribe as well as find very helpful, useful information on how to become a more dominant racer, a more resilient racer, and truly race at your peak performance. And until next time, let's go out and be highly functional.